our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. My goal in this deposition was to be truthful, but not particularly helpful. Welcome to Unspun, the podcast that makes you better at finding the truth. The way people get news is changing. It used to be that there were many reporters who would research stories and write articles, but now politicians and famous people share information directly with you on social media and the internet. That means you find out things fast, but it's up to you to make sure the information's actually accurate. And newsmakers don't always do their part. The temptation to manipulate information is strong. They bend the truth to deceive so that they can avoid accountability, so that they can advance their agendas. When you recognize these agendas, you can sometimes find out what's real. And we're at a crossroads where anyone can share anything online. So it's important to sharpen your critical thinking skills. Finding that deception before it goes viral is pretty much a survival skill now. And we're going to do it together. Let's get unspun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unspun. What's up, Josh Fierstein here. You know, I think in the age of political correctness, we become so open-minded, our brains have literally fallen out of our head. Do you realize that Starbucks wanted to take Christ and Christmas off of their brand new cups? That's why they're just plain red. In fact, do you realize that Starbucks isn't allowed to say Merry Christmas to customers? Well, I decided instead of simply boycotting, well, why don't we just start a movement? So when I went in and I asked for my coffee, they asked for my name, and I told them my name is Merry Christmas. So guess what, Starbucks? I tricked you into putting Merry Christmas on your cup. That somewhat silly example was Pastor Joshua Fierstein. This was a viral video that he made complaining about the holiday intentions of the Starbucks Corporation based on the designs they placed on their coffee cups. The company had moved away from reindeer and snowmen and went to a plain red coffee cup for the holidays, which Fierstein claimed meant that the company, quote, hates Jesus. This is an example of a straw man. He made something to argue against, but the thing he's arguing against is his own creation, with no evidence that Starbucks has an opinion one way or the other. Now, I said that's silly because Christmas cups don't have a lot to do with things that are going to make a difference in people's lives. But sometimes straw men do. Let's learn a little bit more. Picture this. You're debating with a friend about the benefits of exercise. You argue that regular exercise makes you healthier, both physically and mentally. And your friend counters with, so you're saying everyone should become a professional athlete. Now that's a straw man. Your point was about the overall health benefits of exercise, not about turning everyone into an athlete. Recognizing straw man fallacies can be this easy. Straw man arguments show up in politics all the time. For example, imagine a heated political debate where someone asserts, liberals want to abolish all kinds of law enforcement. It's a bold claim, but it's just not accurate. Some liberals do think that police reform is needed, but their impression is much more nuanced than let's just get rid of everything. Usually they advocate for reforms and improved accountability. So for this week's warm-up, here's another example. They want to take your pickup truck. They want to rebuild your home. They want to take away your hamburgers. This is what Stalin dreamt about. Okay, your truck, your home, and your hamburgers. Where did this come from? In 2019, Kamala Harris spoke at a CNN town hall on climate change and said she would endorse revising diet guidelines to discourage red meat. And this became a conservative talking point for a lot of politicians. In the clip we just listened to, former presidential advisor Sebastian Gorka is speaking at CPAC. And he's taking, maybe we should think about eating less red meat and turning it into the straw man of taking away hamburgers. 
He wasn't the only one to do this, and they were all deceptive. Now it's your turn. Where is the straw man here in this clip from U.S. Representative Virginia Fox? This was happening. New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced plan to house asylum seekers in up to 30 current and former public schools with freestanding gyms. The city of Chicago is housing hundreds of illegal aliens on college campuses. New York Governor Kathy Hochul also announced that three SUNY campuses would shelter up to 1,500 migrants in dorms over the summer. SUNY Chancellor John King, former Obama Secretary of Education, confirmed the university system's commitment to supporting Governor Hochul. Unsurprisingly, the plan received significant public pushback and has yet to move forward. It's blatantly obvious that the Biden administration's cataclysmic failure at our nation's southern border is the root cause of this problem. And Mr. McGovern said this is an unserious bill. Well, what's unserious is the fact that Democrats promote open borders and encourage lawlessness. The representative goes through several examples of U.S. cities providing housing to immigrants, and then she goes on to say that Democrats are promoting open borders. Well, it may be true that immigrants are being housed in some cities. It may not be factual that they're illegal immigrants, like she said, but we'll set that aside for now. It is not factual that Democrats propose policies of open borders, so this is a straw man. So why do people make these straw man arguments? Well, sometimes it's because they don't have a good answer for someone's real position. Another reason is because they can get you more upset because it's a more dramatic argument, and if you're upset, you're easier to manipulate. And the consequences can be even worse. They sow confusion, they promote miscommunication, they make society even more polarized, and it becomes harder to address the real issues and find the common ground when we can't even talk about an issue honestly. So that's straw men. Let's talk about some of the ways that people come up with finding facts. And my guest this week is Brooke Binkowski, and I'm really excited to have a chance to talk to her, and I'm going to ask her to tell me a little bit about herself. All right. Hi, uh, my name is Brooke Binkowski, and I am a counter-disinformation journalist, I guess. That's what you could call me. I mean, soon to be X, maybe? I'm not really sure. I've been doing this for probably about eight or nine years. Um, and before that, I was a border reporter. I covered the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, I did a lot of radio and television. I also covered uh, the crime and um, breaking news beat in Los Angeles for several years as a commercial and public radio reporter. And, oh, God, I don't know. I did a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm really old. And uh, in the last few years, I realized I had all these interests, right? I had, like... Um, an interest in the indigenous rights beat and the humanitarian beat and the environment, environmental concerns beat traditional ecological knowledge. And especially of course the border, the U S Mexico border, that was like my, my love and my obsession. And, um, at some point in the last few years, I realized that those were all converging into the same beat, which is disinformation and counter disinformation. And, uh, that was a really bad day. when I realized that because it came 
on the heels of realizing that like those angry young men that I was reading, you know, their posts on 4chan were the same angry young men dragging me into secondary when I was trying to cross back into the United States, right? They was, it was border agents. I mean, among others. And I was like, oh God, we're in real bad shape now. Oh, I'll just say we were, we're in deep doo-doo is what I was thinking. Like we are screwed. So I, I realized this in 2017 or 2018, like shamefully later than I should have. But I did notice in like 2014, things were starting to swing really hard right at the border. The language that I was hearing and the rhetoric that I was hearing about the border and not just the border, but it was most noticeable for me then there. And then I started to hear this sort of dehumanizing um, language applied to other groups and I saw it spreading and I realized that we were in for a really bad time unless we reversed course. So in 2016, I thought, well, you know, Trump's not going to win, but... (laughs) This is really ugly. So we should probably like, you know, go out of our way to reverse this trend once we've elected Hillary Clinton as president. And uh, well, you know, I I guess everybody lived through the same thing that I did more or less after that. But yeah, so that's my background. Lots and lots of optimism about humanity that got kind of crushed in the post 2016 years. But I still maintain a lot of hope, which is uh, I don't know what my problem is. Appreciate that. (laughs) So for my listeners... If I said the word debunking, what does that mean to you? Uh, debunking. Oh, God. Oh, God. OK, uh, this this is something this is one of those questions. So I have a bunch of answers that used to I used to rattle them off so glibly about debunking and disinfo and counter disinfo and fact checking and, and all of that. And um in 2016, 2017, I was so confident about it and, and confident in reality. Now I'm like, oh, well, you know, it means all sorts of things, context, blah, blah, blah. But what I will say is debunking to me is removing the poisonous rhetoric and the narratives from the public discourse so that we can talk to each other, maybe not in a totally factual way, because that doesn't seem to work either, but in a way that doesn't have weaponized um, disinformation about other people and other groups in there. Um, You know, disinfo isn't the same as misinfo, um, and I deal with disinfo. So disinformation is deliberate. The D is for deliberate is what I always say. It's kind of a silly rule of thumb that I thought up on my own. Misinformation is, it can be, you know, deliberate, but it can also be um, accidental. So when I talk about debunking and fact-checking and counter-disinformation, what I'm dealing with are the um, deliberate narratives that are there specifically to strip rights from other human beings and destroy the planet. Um, So I'm trying to correct those and trying to get people operating in a sphere of information that is actually accurate and fair. Um, You can be accurate in a disinformation sense and just remove one tiny element, like a time frame or, you know, one small detail and be largely accurate and it can still be disinformation. So it's really, really hard to define, like the more, like the deeper into it I go, the more difficult it is to define. But to restate, it's uh, to me, debunking and counter disinformation and fact checking, like all those things are the same thing to me. And that is uh, taking the weaponized narratives and the weaponized rhetoric out of the political and public discourse, same thing really, so that we can have sane and, um, you know, not hateful, toxic conversations about other people and other groups. Okay. I'm going to be Miss Grammar person for a second. That's fine. And so I feel like you just described debunking as a noun. Can you describe it as a verb? It seems like it's also a process. Well, I so guess I did, didn't I? Through? Yeah. Oh, oh, God. Okay. Um, well, it depends on the narrative. So uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of a good one that I've debunked lately. Um, 
Oh, okay. Here's one. Here's one. Uh, a year or two ago, in order to set up the uh, current board stuff that we have going on, the school board uh, stuff where people are being targeted for being LGBTQ, um, and well, they're targeted for being queer and trans mostly, but not just queer and trans, but largely that, right? So uh, last year and the year before, that was being set up by these these jerks who were showing up and claiming that students were identifying as cats and pooping in litter boxes in the middle of the classroom floor in front of all the other students. This was an abject lie. This was a narrative. It never, ever happened. No high school student or junior high student is going to pull off their pants and have a bowel movement in front of all of their peers. Can you imagine? Like, I, I don't know a student that age who wouldn't rather die, you know, than, than put on cat ears and take a dump in front of all their peers. The, the truth of the matter is some classrooms do have kitty litter on hand in those classrooms so that students, when they're trapped in those classrooms by mass shooters, can have a place to go to the bathroom. That is the dire and disgusting truth. The disinformation narrative was that they're identifying as cats and pooping in litter boxes and people are having vapors over this, right? So I debunked that. The process, or we debunked that at Truth or Fiction, and the process of debunking that was a essentially talking to students and teachers who told us the true purpose of these, um, you know, these litter boxes, or sorry, litter boxes, the, these boxes of kitty litter. And, um, you know, also, it was very easy, because that would have been such a scandal. Can you imagine like somebody whips out their box and pulls their pants up? Somebody else definitely has a phone. So it was sort of an absence of evidence sort of thing. But it was also a knowing what young people are like, and also talking to a lot of teachers and staff and faculty and students all over the country. And then writing a story going like, what, what are you what are you idiots doing? What are you thinking? Why are you spreading this about young people? If you hate young people that much, why are you teaching them? Right. So um, that was the debunking process. It takes a lot of it's just um, well, not just it sounds like I'm downplaying it. But what it truly is, is reporting. It's getting out there, you know, boots on the ground reporting. Um, it's doing actual research, not the do your own research, Google it types, but like reading academic papers, talking to people, like going out and, and knocking on doors um, and trying not to get shot by lunatics in the process you know i mean that's that's what it is the debunking process is reporting out a story and making sure that it is it is as accurate as possible and relying on the excellent work of academics and and teachers and other reporters and you know researchers and your own experiences so People don't like hearing that, you know, for the last 10 years, they've been asking me what debunking is. And they, they thought I had like a magic bullet answer. But no, it's just it's just reporting. Hey, just being like super uptight about the facts. Right. And yeah. Find the best ones you can. And, and don't let some bully call you, some bully politician or whatever, call you and go, you're biased in favor of the left. Because they always say that. Like all the right wing politicians, no matter what you do or say, will accuse you of being inherently left wing because you're a journalist. That kind of rhetoric pushes journalism to the right, and that's why they do it. It's intentional. Do not listen to them. The fact inherently has a liberal bias, and that's always been true. It's really interesting. Oh, I, so, when I say that, people get so mad. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. So where does a story like that even come from? Um, it. It comes from deep in the bowels of really messed up people. Um, it also comes from oh, I don't know, decades of lies. Um, the, For example, the anti-trans stuff is very closely related to anti-Semitic stuff. And anti-Semitic stuff comes from, you know, the last couple of, well, 
last several centuries, but really culminated in the last century or so, right? I, I mean, we have QAnon, which from which so much else falls, and it's a vague conspiracy theory about elites who control Hollywood, politics, and the banking system who drink the blood of babies. That's the protocols of the elders of Zion. Um, when you hear students identifying as cats and pooping in litter boxes, what that really is, is barely disguised anti-trans disinformation, anti-trans disinformation, always, for some reason, it always seems to go, and the Jews taught them this. Um, and it's like, yeah, we didn't teach anybody anything. Like, this is humanity. Like, just love it or leave it, <laughs> as the right-wingers say. Um, but it's it, it comes from facts that get twisted around. And this is specifically disinformation. So what I hear you saying, then, is that if you looked at even seemingly not related pieces of disinformation, that there is relationship kind of under the surface. Yeah. And usually it's anti-Semitism. And um, that part I don't really understand, except that we're just like we have a long way to go as a society. I mean, I'm not really I don't really understand why it always centers on Jewish people. Um, I just remember in 2017, 2017 was a banner year, right? Because we're getting all these crazy conspiracy theories. And I used to love conspiracy theories. I used to like collect them kind of I'd be like, did you know there's people out there who think the world is flat and that there's like dragons running the earth? I thought that was great. And then at some point I'm like, oh, the world is flat because the Jews are lying to you. Oh, the dragons are the, oh, you know, like lizard people are Jews. Like it's, it's so frustrating. Um, and so 2017 was the year I was like, was the year I was like, oh, shoot, all of these conspiracy theories are actually about Jewish people. That was also the year I found out that my family was Jewish and lying to us about it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing this. <laughs> so that was a very exciting time. Um, right in the middle of the Trump administration, that was also extremely uh, exciting. Great to be a Jewish journalist during the Trump administration, especially if you're a debunker getting targeted by people like Tucker Carlson. Um, so yeah, it's, it all sort of comes from this wellspring of like barely examined fears and, and shameful desires that apparently a lot of Americans have. I mean, this was this was done using a combination of existing conspiracy theories that were kept alive for, for decades for this exact purpose and A-B testing to see how you could possibly use them to recruit people or to drag them into your worldview. And now you have a bunch of people running around talking about how they're never going to get vaccinated because of 5G and the lizard people, you know, they don't want lizard blood or whatever. So if someone wasn't familiar with the idea of A-B testing, can you explain what you mean by that? Yes. And I have a very limited understanding of it. So if I don't understand it enough to explain it accurately, uh, I'm sorry. But here's my understanding of it. It's um, online. You're presented with two choices um, in, you know, whether it's a photo or a phrase or um, anything. And it's, it's used by advertisers. And whatever they click on um, or whatever people click on the most or look at the most is the one that gets used for later tests and, and for later advertising. So it's just a matter of winnowing down what people prefer by presenting them with two uh, similar but not identical choices and seeing what people prefer and just going and keeping on and doing that again and again and again and again until you refine it into QAnon. Yeah. And so you can even do that automatically, right? You can automatically give people those choices. So it's really low stakes to do that. And then you yeah. just find your disinformation that works the best. Yeah, basically, like people do it to themselves. They, they they click themselves into their own conspiracy theories. And that's why it's so addictive, I think, because people are writing it on their own. It's like a choose your own adventure. You know, I mean, they've they've said that, too, in the past. They're like, it's like choose your own adventure because it is. But yeah, I remember um, 
I saw uh, something about Cambridge Analytica where they bragged about it, where they're like, yeah, this is how we do it. This is how it's done. And it was like all this white supremacist stuff. And I was like, oh, God, we are in so much trouble. That was in 2017, I think, 2018. 2017 was a big year for a lot of different things. God, um, it really was. Terrible. So so here's another question for you. I want to get back to the uh, kitty litter for a minute. Yeah. One of the things that really surprised me about that story was the places that you heard it. And in particular, like you heard it from people giving speeches in Congress and things like that. So how does it go from like a fringe conspiracy theory to out of a senator's mouth? Well, you have to remember that a lot of these senators or these politicians, and this is true for everywhere in the world, they are pushing these narratives because they think they're going to gain something from it. It is very, very cynical. And a lot of the time, they're the ones who are promulgating them to begin with. So what they'll do is they'll 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 push these things into these fringe sites. They won't say them publicly, but they'll be the ones originating them because I've seen this happen. Um, and then the fringe sites will pick up these these narratives and then the politicians will repeat them and they'll go, you see, this is happening. It's grassroots. So it's actually coming from them and it's coming from them so that they can enact whatever their agenda is. You, you, these are not uh, people who are invested in maintaining a democracy. These are people who really want power and they are seeing the power of these narratives to give them that. A lot of people used COVID and the civil unrest of 2020 and 2021 to push forth their agendas. And a lot of them got on school boards. I spent all week uh, monitoring school board stuff because of this. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's why we're seeing these book bans now and these, you know, LGBTQ bans and this disgusting rhetoric. And it's all been um, completely choreographed by these would-be politicians who have ridden it into power and are now politicians from day one and, and people who are already in power because a lot of politicians have been using this, you know, this sort of corrupt uh, power grabbing method for, for decades, not to the extent that they have been since about 2014 or so, but they have been, you know, using it. And that's not a conspiracy theory. They've said as much themselves. Before it was something to be ashamed of. They bragged about Cambridge Analytica. I know that you've been at this for a long time, right? Doing your disinformation journalism. And it's been 84 years. <laughs> yes, back when you could get two Bs for a dollar or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, do you think that the greater prevalence of fact checkers and debunking and those kinds of things, do you think it's having any effect at all at getting newsmakers more in line? Are things the same? Are they worse? Um, well, uh, fact checkers and debunkers are now getting defunded everywhere. They're getting fired. They're getting run out. They're losing their funding. This has been going on since about the first of the year. Um, they've been under economic attack, basically. So I would say, yeah, by that metric, it's totally working. I mean, it's it, it works enough that we're getting run out of the pop popular discourse. We are. Uh, I'm very concerned about what's going to happen in 2024 because uh, fact checkers just aren't going to be there next year. I mean, I I'm burned out. I mean, I've I've cracked all four molars by now since 2020. Like I literally have, I have to get like three more crowns and I'm like, ah, but we've lost our funding. You know, we, we're all um, getting laid off by mid October. Uh, if you talk to a lot of debunkers and counter disinformation journalists, they're, they're all in the same boat. And so by that, yes, I would say it's very effective and corporations and politicians know it. Um, and I do think it moved the needle. I think that people are, on on the whole, are very aware that we are under attack, but they just don't know what to do about it. 
Uh, what I've been doing on the side is just offering like media coaching to people who don't generally have it, like teaching them how to write op-eds, teaching them how to find email addresses for editors so they can write letters to the editor because letters to editors are important. Politicians read those in order to figure out what populist nonsense they're going to do that day. And if they only hear from right-wing people, which is what's happening right now, because they're the only ones who are getting media coaching, then they're going to enact further right-wing policies because they're thinking that that reflects a larger segment of the population than it actually does. That's being done by design. That's part of the disinformation. So I'm trying to get people who are center and left to center to write in letters to editors all over the country. Um, so, I mean, that's the kind of thing I'm turning my energies to because there's there's no real work left for me in the debunking field. The other thing is we are all just terribly burned out. There's only so many times that you can debunk the same story again and again and again before you just want to like put your head down and cry. Um, so I I don't, it's, it's going to be, 2024 is going to be a real wild card. It depends on how much of um, our lessons the American public internalized. Um, and it depends on whether news organizations reverse course in the next six months or so. I don't think that they will. Um, so yeah, I, it's ooh, it's not looking great, but I really don't think, given the last five or six years, that uh, a, anybody like Trump has a chance again. Of course, I said that in 2016, so what do I know? So let me ask you then, so you're a professional at this. What kind of things can just ordinary people do to get better at sort of checking the disinformation in their lives? Um, well, I really, really strongly encourage everybody, like I said, Write letters to your local editors of newspapers, um, write op-eds, write into newsrooms, like public radio, write into um, politicians' offices. And I mean email, but I also mean letters, like actual letters. Make phone calls. You know, if you don't like their coverage, if they're, if they're promoting and platforming like the far right, if they're promoting and platforming Moms for Liberty, the Proud Boys, you know, Heritage Foundation, any of these groups or, or groups locally that you know are affiliated with white supremacists or the far right, um, call them. Tell them that you don't appreciate their far right bias. Tell them that you don't appreciate how they're pandering to the far right. And I mean newsrooms, but also politicians. Tell them that, you know, it's unacceptable that your tax dollars don't go to this. They don't stand for this. Like I said, it feels very Karen-y or Chad-like. <laughs> no offense to Karens and Chads. Um, it feels very like, let me speak to your manager. But that's what we have to use this kind of stuff for. We have to use our voices before we don't have our voices anymore. That's what democracy is like. We have right now very bad people co-opting the levers of democracy. And we can stop them now if we use our voices. That's what people can do to stop disinformation. Um, and in, in order to stop Unfortunately, you know, I've been dealing with people asking me for years now, like how they can like extract their grandma or their brother or whatever from the grip of disinformation. I don't know how. I'm sorry. That's that kind of deprogramming takes years. It takes a community. And even then, it's not always helpful. This is the problem is that these conspiracy theories aren't generally helping people or they aren't changing people. They're more helping people voice what they felt all along, I think. And so a lot of them are using these weird conspiracy theories that sound very odd to people who aren't deeply involved in this stuff to justify their hatred of, you know, people of color, uh, Jewish people, women, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, so it is really difficult because what you're dealing with is an embedded worldview that just sounds a little bit odd because they're speaking in a specific sort of code. And so I can't really help with that. But what I can help with is, is you know, stopping politicians and um, 
public figures and news organizations from echoing that sort of language that normalizes this sort of hatefulness. Um, so there's that. And then when it comes to, this is the rule of thumb I used to give, and it's a little bit obsolete now, but what I used to say in 2016 is if you read a news story and it has an immediate emotional effect on you, like you get really angry or scared or you, you, you know, you, you don't know what to do. You feel hopeless. Um, or like we're doomed, then check your sources because you're being manipulated. And that still holds to a certain extent, but all the news now is so scary and doomery and, you know, filled with hatred. And and that's because the people who are pushing these lies attained positions of power. And now they're using what they've got to persecute people, to enact a, um, a, an agenda of um, resilience targeting on us, which resilience targeting is preventing um, societies or groups from returning to a baseline well-being after some sort of disaster. And it's a a term that's used in counter disinformation, but it's also a term that's used in climate change because the two are very similar and interconnected. I mean, you know, you can't recover from some sort of climate-based disaster if you have lunatics running around talking about Antifa's setting fires and doing like checks of your cars in the middle of the freeway, like what happened in the Pacific Northwest during the fires in 2020, you know? So it's, it's, we are suffering through an ina- an extended um, attack on democracy by attacking everybody's well-being and ability to return to baseline. It's an attempt to exhaust us and keep us frightened and too tired to fight back. And it's called resilience targeting. And it is a uh, part of the hybrid warfare toolkit. Um, so it's, it's something that people need to fight back against. Um, but the most prevalent thing I'm seeing right now is doomerism, which is basically, you know, the climate's going to poop the bed. We are totally screwed. There's nothing we can do about it. Nothing to be done. Biden's the same as Trump. Everybody's the same. Nobody can be trusted. That is a very reductive lie. There is always something to fight for. There is always reason to fight, even if it's just a, an ounce of human dignity for other people. You know, it's it's worth fighting for. And so don't fall prey to doomerism. We have to push. We have to fight. We have to make sure our voices are heard. We have to go to school freaking board meetings. I went to a school board meeting this week. I don't have kids. But I went because I knew that queer students and trans students and queer and trans staffers needed the support. And so I went as part of that. Do that. Solidarity really matters, especially now. We're going to need to have solidarity with each other going forward because things are going to get real hairy, what with the climate and everything. It's not the end of the world, but, you know, it's not the end of humanity, but it will get really bad unless we all fight together. Thanks for getting Unspun with me this week. Unspun is a production of me, Amanda Sturgill, and is a proud member of the MSW Media family of podcasts. Send me your thoughts and ideas about trickery in the news on Gmail at theunspunpodcast at gmail.com. I even write back. And find this episode's show notes and more information at theunspunpodcast.substack.com. Want to learn more and get smarter? Check out my book, Detecting Deception, Tools to Fight Fake News, which is available on Amazon or your favorite online bookseller. And until next time, stay sharp, everyone.